Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hi, I'm Terry. I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm grateful to be here. It's an honor to join you this morning. Um, I've been in OA for 30, over 35 years, and all of my program uh, involvement has been on the East Bay. Um, I started in Alameda and then moved uh, after a couple of years to the Oakland 7 a.m. meeting and spent have spent years and years at that meeting, as well as others, but that is my home home group. So um, I definitely qualify for this program. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. I um, was raised back East in a large Irish Catholic family with six kids and a mother who had been um, a novice in the convent and met my dad on a on a weekend home and um, the rest is history. She no longer was in the convent, but she was very devout Catholic and also mentally ill. She was, as we call it today, bipolar. In those days, you would call it manic depressive. And also in those days, you really didn't talk about these kinds of things. Um, it was kept very much hush hush under the, you know, under the radar. And often when someone was identified as having those kinds of problems, they were put in an institution. So um, that was that was the, the real role model that I had for a mother growing up. But I also had a very strong, um, upright, straight up dude of a dad. And he was very consistent and strong and, and uh, reliable. Thank God for that. So. Um, I'm grateful for having that, that father in my life. And I'm grateful for the mother. I've learned a lot as a result of examining my childhood. I come from a long line of workaholics, alcoholics, drug users, and compulsive overeaters. It was a very dysfunctional environment, as you probably guess, with someone who's mentally unstable. And um, there was a lot of neglect and abuse. I fended for myself very much from a very early age. Um, I would stand on a, on a stool and I went to all Catholic schools and I had to wear uniforms and I would stand and iron my, my white blouse with spray starch until the Peter Pan collar was like cardboard because I needed to be sure that everything looked okay when I went to school and that I looked okay because you see, I had a secret people didn't know about and that was that I had a sick mama. So from a very early age, perfectionism and trying to look good, like everything was good, became they became important survival tools for me. Um, and I was lucky to have two older sisters who served as surrogate moms. Um, so there was love and, and comfort, but mainly, you know, my mom was the primary caregiver. Um, I found... Al-Anon first as a program and then went into OA several years later. While in the Al-Anon program, I had fallen in love with an alcoholic. And um, 
that was how I found that 12-step program, which helped me so much with codependency. But now, once I was left again, I broke up with the alcoholic. We were going to be married. I broke off the wedding plans. He was sober from the time I gave him an ultimatum. He's still sober today, but I needed to be on my own. And I didn't really know that, but I hit a bottom when I, when I was back faced with myself and no more complexities outside of myself to focus on. So I started eating, I quit smoking. I started overeating. I had always been in many, many times underweight. But I started gaining weight and I couldn't stop eating and I couldn't stop over exercising. And I went to a nutritionist and she told me um, to fill out a form with little boxes for everything that I ate. And we graphed my progress in quarter pound increments on the wall. And I'd meet with her weekly. Well, finally, after white knuckling it and cheating on my food plan, I blew up when she showed me that I'd gained like a half a pound. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I have to go to OA. And I paid her what what the whole program would have cost. And I broke away and I started going to meetings and I didn't even know what would help me, that it would help me, except that I knew my fiance could not stop drinking. And the the only thing that helped him, thank you, was Alcoholics Anonymous. And I saw him stop drinking and stay sober. So I knew the 12-step programs worked. So I went for the first couple of years, just went to meetings, was uncomfortable as the heck. My shoulders were like steel bands. I couldn't stand the feeling. I thought, well, I'm going to keep coming because this is resistance. And, and when my shoulders stop hurting, I won't have to come anymore. Well, it took about two years for the shoulders to stop hurting. And I forgot about the fact that I was going to leave because you see, you drew me in. You had what I wanted. I was very curious and drawn to you. And I just wanted to get well and have a good life. So, and I wanted to, I didn't want to be fat. I wanted to stop overeating. So for the first two years, I did nothing but steps one, two, and three. I didn't, and went to meetings. That's all I could do. My food wasn't what it is today. But after two years, I started to notice the anomalies starting to surface, the personality things that also come along with this disease and the way that I handled myself in my life and how responsible or irresponsible I was and relationships that I didn't like um, how I operated in. So I started, I knew I needed a step process. That's all I knew. And a speaker volunteered and was a step sponsor. So I asked her to be my sponsor, which was a turning point. She led me through the 12 steps with a book called The 12 Steps Away Out. We didn't even have the OA 12 and 12 at that point. Um, I worked with her. I met with her at, at Alta Bates Hospital Weekly. We got our abstinent dinners, salad mostly, and I read her my secrets and my writings. And halfway through the steps, my way of eating changed dramatically. It's never gone back to where it was. Um, It was telling a person the things I vowed I'd take to my grave. You know, I would never share them openly, one-on-one or openly in a group. 
Um, and it was really a miraculous. She, they say there is no perfect sponsor. I disagree. She was and is the perfect sponsor. <laughs> so that's just my own opinion. Take what you like and leave the rest. One of the things she did for me, which was really radical, was take me to a big book retreat down on the peninsula. And you stayed there. And I had, had, not, had not done that in a way. I was terrified. And on a break, I went back to the room and I started packing my suitcase and she came in the room and she said, what are you doing? I said, I have to leave. I can't stay here. And she said, well, that's fine if you need to leave, but first sit down and talk about it and then you can leave. And as I sat down and talked about my feelings and fears, it dissipated and I ended up staying. And I'm so glad because it was led by two guys from Arkansas, Joe and I forget his other name. They are famous for their big book retreats in AA. And I learned about the cycle of addiction. This was the most important thing for me, that what happens in an addictive cycle is we're calm, we're going along. Something happens that triggers us or upsets us or causes us stress. And we start to build up a storehouse of uncomfortable feelings so it starts and uncomfortable feelings start to accumulate and it creates pressure and that pressure we can't stand after a period of time maybe it's hours maybe it's days maybe it's weeks and what ends up happening is the disease that addiction flares up and we go and we seek our our comfort whatever that is in my case it's food and that quells the feelings for a very brief period of time. So I calm down. I feel like I'm normal again. And the cycle continues and it starts all over again. And it goes round and round and round. And so the key for me with the steps is that when I start to get uncomfortable, when that circle gets right to about here, I have to work the steps. I have to talk to someone honestly about what's going on. I have to write about it. I have to hold it up to the air and light and see what what's really going on that's causing these flare-ups. If I have a slip, I don't consider myself five. I don't I don't consider myself to be a failure. I consider it to be a barometer that things are happening that I'm not cognizant of. So um, that was really a powerful thing. There's also something that someone shared with me that I really appreciated. It was some, it goes something like this. I'll paraphrase. If you, if you in the course of living your life and coping with problems and whatever befalls you feel that food is an option to help you, then it will always be an option. Once, once we reach a point where we say, I've got to face this, eating isn't an option, I start to come into a place of solutions. And that helped me a lot. I use a number of tools. I don't use all the tools all the time, but the ones I use regularly are meetings. I go to meetings all the time. And a meeting for me isn't just you know, being on Zoom, it's one-on-one, -on -one, talking with someone else, sharing, listening, being supportive, asking for support, 
um, those, those are the most powerful things. I think in AA, they found that one alcoholic talking to another was going to help solve their problem and keep them sober. And I know that that's true for me in keeping me abstinent. Writing is a powerful tool that helps me sort out what I'm feeling, my emotions, and service in any way, shape, or form has always been a huge part of my program. Secretary meetings, being treasurer, going to intergroup, literature person, um, just, just hugging someone who's new or asking if I can hug them who's new and saying, we're really glad you're here. Welcome is a form of service. And in fact, I learned that could be their very first spiritual awakening in a, in a meeting, you know, just that kind of treatment. And then of course, sponsorship, working with others. I have done a lot of that for years and I continue to, and it really helps me and my program. So, you know, I don't know, how am I doing on time? Um, you got seven minutes. Okay. Well, the thing is, is that I highly recommend Overhaters Anonymous because it has given me friendships that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Not only has it given me freedom from compulsive overeating and a way to work through my problems and face my responsibilities and take really good care of myself and have good relationships with people. Um, it also has given me tremendous friendships, friendships I've formed that I've had for 25 years, you know, 15, 20, 25 years, some of them six months, and I adore them. You know, it just, it, it's given me a richness that I never could have found in the relationships I had before coming into recovery. Um, and all of this I owe to a higher power. Those people, like they say in the big book, it says, I think it was Dr. Silkworth said, you can, you can trust anything they tell you. You know, when it comes to sharing about this disease and they're relating to what's going on with you, you can trust it. Um, so it's an opportunity, I, I say, that you must not miss. It says it somewhere in the big book to have these kinds of relationships, friendships, people that you would trust your children with um, who will help hold you up when you're having trouble holding yourself up. And then you in turn can do that for other people. Um, I have a real allegiance to my higher power whom I choose to call God. I have many, many blessings in my life. The, um, the alcoholic I talked about that I was going to marry ended up on the rebound marrying six months after we broke up to someone else. But after he was divorced for like 10 years, he found me and he's still sober. And he said, I've got a horse ranch. Okay, I know, thank you. I know you've got, you love horses. Why don't you come and go for a ride? <laughs> so he found me, his daughter, he said, I wonder whatever happened to Terry. And his daughter looked me up on Facebook and brought her laptop and said, is this her? And he, he was like, it is. Well, we immediately saw how much we still loved one another. 
We dated for two years. I've now been married to him for five years. We live on a horse ranch. Um, he gave me a horse for my wedding gift. And it's a fabulous relationship because we both support one another. You know, he's in AA and I'm in Al-Anon and we both have very dysfunctional families. It comes in real handy. So I was recently on a trip and all of this I say is through the grace of God. I'm, so many uncanny things have happened to me, miracles that can't be explained that happen all the time in my life. And I know it's because I am protected, I'm guided. So I'll close with telling you about going back to visit my family last week for a wedding. And there are a lot of morbidly obese people in my family and alcoholics still. I'm the only one in recovery. And I had to really gird myself for that visit. And I did really well, but it made me sad to see the disease functioning so actively. But someone, a very dear person in our 7 a.m. meeting sent me a message in chat. And he said, good luck on your trip back east this week. Take all of us on your journey with you. You are not alone. And that was such a powerful thing. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm gonna repeat that to other people as much as I can. So thanks for letting me share and being a part of your fellowship. I'm most grateful.